Scripture today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22, into chapter 6, to verse 25. It's a lot of verses. I broke into a serious sweat in first service reading this, so I, uh, I hope I'm going to be a little bit, uh, I'll read slower this time, and, uh, but follow along with me as I read. A lot of good things, we're going to, a lot of great things in God's Word this morning, always. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have, and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you. And we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, Return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. 
Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you, in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household, before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that it teaches us, that it tells us how to live life, for you created life and know how we should act and do to be fruitful and not only to be well, but to flourish as you have designed us to be. We were created in your image to glorify you and to love you, Lord, and I pray that we will obey your commands and your statutes and live life to the fullest as we need to, and I pray that you be with pastors worldwide today lord as they bring your message and to be with pastor brad today as he shares your word in christ's name amen Amen. thanks john i was saying to kyle after the lord's supper that uh i gave john and david the the hard job of having to talk and sing right after eating that wafer um (laughs) so uh it's not an easy thing to do i just want you guys to appreciate me more that's it so i try to hear that it's uh it's dry um <laughs> uh, as we look at God's word today, I, I find it really interesting. John did a great job last week of beginning this this talk for us about what it looks like to actually uh, look at the law of God, because the book of Deuteronomy is all about this law being the key to how we live this life of love. So if we're going to live a life of love for God and for other people and actually live out practically what the law looks like, we have to understand what the law is and, and what it's meant to do. Here's the thing. The Ten Commandments was just part of the law. The Ten Commandments was a, a section of God's law. And what we read here at the end of chapter 5 is that once God had delivered the Ten Commandments and they had been written down on stone, the people of God, the people of Israel are like, all right, that's enough. We can't handle any more. God, you need to stop talking to us. Talk to Moses instead. We can't hear from you anymore. It got to the point where it was overbearing. It was too much for them. They couldn't handle it. And if we look at the law honestly, that's how we still see the law oftentimes. I think when I think of the law and and God commanding stuff to do, we as New Testament people, as people who understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins because we couldn't keep the law, who then 
Uh, he lived the perfect life that we were meant to live, but we couldn't live. So he did that for us. And then we get, then we tend to go, well, I can't do it. So I'm not going to, I, I can't keep the law. So I'm not going to try. I'm free from the law. Paul tells me. So that means I'm free to not have to keep it. Right. But what we're free from is not Keeping the law, we're free from the condemnation that comes from not being able to keep the law. What I want you to hear today and over the next few weeks as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to deal with this big passage of Scripture with a couple of themes today. And then we're going to really dive into what's called the Shema, this this ultimate prayer of the Jewish people, of the Israelites, where they say the Lord is one and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all of your soul and with all of your might, this central thesis of what it is to be the people of God, that Jesus himself said, this is the first and most important commandment. I want us to see that if we're going to be a people who love the Lord our God with everything we have, then we're going to have to understand what it looks like to actually love God. And there's some, there's some clues here in the text They give us some themes. In fact, I would say some prerequisites for us, some fundamentals that we're going to have to get right in order to actually love the Lord our God. So the question for us today is, do you want to obey God by loving him with everything you have? And if so, here's the good news. The word of God tells us how to do that. It gives us warnings and it gives us direction in how to do that. And these verses are are the central theme of that. So look first at the Shema right there in verses 4 and 5. So you see it. This is chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is the center of everything we're talking about. We're going to deal with the context today, and then we're going to start breaking this down over the next few weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So what is necessary in order to live this way? The context tells us. And the two fundamentals that I want you to see today are things we tend to overlook or we tend to downplay and we might therefore miss loving God. And what danger is there in missing loving God with everything we have? So loving God, this is the thesis of today, loving God with our everything comes from a life that is fearful and careful. And you may say, a fearful life? What, what, well, you saw it, though, in the text, didn't you, that John just read? Fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. So these two themes, these two ideas are carried throughout the text. But you may say, I, I thought we weren't supposed to live fearful lives. Let's just be honest. We're all afraid of something. We're all afraid of something. All of us. Even the biggest, baddest dude in here who says, I'm not afraid of anything. I'll tell you what you're afraid of. Right now, I'm going to tell you what you're afraid of. You're afraid of other people thinking you're afraid of something. (laughs) Everybody's afraid of something. I'm afraid of being that guy. You know, it could be, I got got some, I got it handed to me in the first service for saying this, but I'll just go, people have known me too long. I'm afraid of being that guy. The guy, first of all, that just, well, that's just the way he is. You can't deal with it. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a guy who nobody gives up on. I don't want to be the dad who's just that dad. 
I don't want to be the husband who's just that husband. You know what I'm talking about? You don't even have to define it. It's just as soon as you say it, everybody says, yeah, that's just a guy. You just give up on him. Just forget about it. I don't want to be that guy. I, I, that's, that's my big, my other biggest fear is this, that every, every detrimental part of my personality would come out in you guys. That's my biggest fear. Everybody's afraid of something. And the fact is that's good when fear is placed in the right place, when we fear the Lord. And so today I want you to see from the text what God calls the people of God to fear and why that's important for us. And then that's going to call us to take care with everything that God has said. It makes sense, doesn't it? That if God is worthy to be feared, then we should be careful with what he says. So I want us to see that today. So the first thing is we need to be fearful of God's holy presence and his word. This is the end of chapter 5, and you see the picture there. At the end of chapter 5, the people have reacted to hearing the voice of God. So when the Ten Commandments was given, it was given out loud from a mountain full of fire and smoke and cloud. So God shows up on the mountain and starts yelling at the people from the top of the mountain and says, Don't murder! All right, that, this is what's happening. You just picture it. There's fear. He's, the ground is shaking. Everything about this is earthquake happening. And there's fear involved here to the point that the people go, we can't bear this anymore. God in his holiness was not to be trifled with. And they feared his presence. And they wanted Moses instead. They were like, we've had enough. You take care of this. Look at verse 24, chapter 5. You said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory. So Moses is reminding them of how they looked at God when he spoke. You said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God. Any more we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Brad translation. We've pushed our luck long enough. Right? We're standing before a holy God and he's speaking to us. And we know that if we hang out here any long, next time he talks, we're done for. It's much like Isaiah saying as he's there in the throne room of God and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. He recognized his own sinfulness in the presence of a holy God. So God in his greatness and his glory and his holiness is there speaking and they can't handle it because of their own sinful nature. They understand their position before the Lord. And I love God's response here. And you see his response in verse 28. It's the one time, and we've already gone through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And I can't remember another time in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers where the people of God have said something and God's gone, you got it. You, you got it. It seems like every time they speak, God goes, morons. Have you not listened to anything I've said? But in this moment, they speak. And look at verse 28. The Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the words of this people, which they've spoken to you. They're right in all that they have spoken. This is, mark that down. Old Testament. That doesn't happen very often. The next verse is really telling, though. The next verse 29 says, oh, that they had such a heart as this always. 
Oh, that they would keep thinking like this. But the fact is they won't. But they need to have the same heart in that moment to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Oh, that they would remember this day. Oh, that they would remember my holiness. Oh, that they would remember this fear. Oh, that they would remember the gravity of this situation because fearful obedience leads to a fearful obedience is a lifestyle that comes out of fearing God when he speaks. So we need to have a fearful obedience to God's commands. When God speaks, we say, if I don't listen, I'm in big trouble. You have people like that in your life. Remember when you were kids, you had maybe one parent you would listen to and not the other as much? Anybody? Anybody? I'm not asking you to raise hands, especially if your parents are here. But... For some people, it was wait till your dad gets home. For some people, it was just wait till your mom gets home. That's how it was in my house. Just wait till your mom gets home. Uh, But you had one parent that you feared a little bit more than the other one, right? You would never say that. You would never do that. But then other times, you feared what other people thought of you. You feared what was happening around you. But fear is a reality. When you understand that God has spoken, it should then drive you to fearful obedience. Look at chapter 6, verse 2. It says it this way, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. God has spoken so that you would fear what he says. And what does he say fear looks like? Does he say this holy fear looks like? It looks like keeping all that he has said. Keeping all his statutes and commandments. Fearing God means obeying God. We demonstrate what we fear by our obedience. So let me, let me, let me say this another way. Whatever you fear or whoever you fear, you will put that on display in your life by what you follow. What you do displays what you fear. So I'll give you some examples. If you fear man, you will follow man. If you fear death, you'll obey whatever keeps you from dying. If you fear poverty, you'll follow riches. If you fear loneliness, you'll follow the crowd. If you fear insignificance, you'll follow pride. But if we fear God, we'll follow God. And these verses tell us that when we put that fear on display through obedience, we put on an example for our kids and our grandkids. Did you catch it? It says, you say before your sons and your son's son that you fear the Lord, you and your son and your son's sons by keeping all the statutes. So when we as parents begin to put on display our fear of the Lord through obedience, that's what we teach our kids to fear. So whatever we follow is because of our fears. And whatever we fear, our kids will follow. This is the reality of the world. People ask me all the time, what's wrong with our world? And what's wrong with the culture around us in fact chuck Irvine comes by at least twice a week to to say something's wrong with our world i'm like yeah chuck you're right it's all your fault um he blames one generation i blame another we have a great conversation it's a lot of fun right but 
the, the fact of the matter is, if we look at the world around us, and yes, it is in really deep trouble, and the world is broken and horrible in so many ways, and people ask me, why is our world in the state that it is in? And there's such a multifaceted answer to that question. I have to at least say this. We as the people of God don't get to point the finger at other people. We as the people of God don't simply get to look at the culture around us and say it's their fault. No, the reality is we need to assess honestly how we have put on display what we fear. And whether what we're putting on display to our kids and to our grandkids and to the people around us is that we fear God or we fear the same thing as the rest of the world fears. Are you afraid of what's going on in the world right now? Or do you fear God who says he's got it all under control? So that when Jesus says things like, before the end comes, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. But do not fear. Huh. Well, I don't have to fear the wars and the rumors of wars. No, I can, I can actually fear the Lord who is in control. I believe part of the problem, if not the majority of the problem we have in our world around us, in the culture around us, is that we as Christians have not taken seriously the call to fear the Lord and what he has said and who he is. And we haven't passed that on to our kids. Instead, we've passed on the values and the fears of the world around us to our kids. That we feared for far too long the same things that the culture fears. And we've taught our children and grandchildren to value and fear the things that the world fears and values. You see, unless we have a holy fear of God, we'll replace that fear with other fears. We'll, we'll quickly find ourselves giving our allegiance to other gods, to other values. We'll start following the things that give us some, some peace. The call of God for his people is fearful allegiance and absolute loyalty. Look at verses 13 through 15. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. When we fear what the world fears... We will worship what the world worships. We'll start turning aside to the other gods. We'll go after them. We'll pursue other gods because they'll give us what we want in the moment. But God calls us to fearful loyalty to him. God commands and demands. And if we're being honest, he doesn't just command it. He deserves loyalty from us. He's that good and great and righteous and holy. And when the text tells us that he's a jealous God, that he doesn't want the love that's reserved for him to go to another, that should remind us that he's worthy of us loving him. I find it interesting, like when you're dating somebody at the beginning of your relationship, some of you remember those days, right? Dating somebody, some of you are like, oh, so long ago. Uh, <clears throat> but you're dating somebody at the beginning of a relationship and you're... Now, back in my day, it's like you were talking. I don't know if everybody remember that. You were talking to someone, which means you still had the opportunity to maybe talk to other people. <laughs> uh, and then, but once you started going with someone, 
Then it became exclusive. You guys remember this. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> my, brother, my brother would come back from a party in middle school, and he's like, I'm going with this girl. I was like, you on your bike? Where are you going? <laughs> what, what do you mean? It's like, well, it just meant that he could no longer talk to the other girls at the party. It was just that girl he was able to talk to. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? This is the reality. There's an exclusivity to it. It's silly at that point, isn't it? It's kind of like, whatever, this is ridiculous. And then if you get caught as a guy talking to another girl, when you're going with somebody, right, the girl gets jealous. And you're like, why are you so jealous? All I'm doing is talking to her. No big deal. Yeah, transplant that to marriage. Jealousy makes a whole lot of sense now, doesn't it? It's different when you're 13. But when you're married, why are you talking to them? Because the question is, where's your heart? Your heart is supposed to be loyal. Your heart is supposed to be 100% in. And all of a sudden, that loyalty becomes a real issue. Let Let me put it another way. Why do you have and keep the job that you have? Is it out of loyalty? Is it, a, is it a loyalty to your boss? Loyalty to your family, right? You want to make sure to provide for them. Loyalty to the, the company. Loyalty to your 401k. What are you being loyal to? Because as soon as someone comes along and scratches that itch, you get a better retirement. You get better pay. Better hours, better this, better this, better this, better this. Whatever you are being loyal to, it comes into question, doesn't it? If somebody can offer you something better. But the fact of the matter is that when we're dealing with God and we don't understand that his way is the way and his word is the word and his way is the way of life, then we will we'll find our eyes drifting. And when our eyes drift, our hearts drift, we begin to go after other gods. Jesus dealt with this in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out into a world full of hatred for what he's saying and for who he is. He's sending them out in the world that they're going to meet with persecution, a world that will hate them for his name's sake. And they... He says that they weren't to be anxious about what to say. This is the way he puts it. He goes, when you get dragged before kings and courts in order to give proclamation and you're there because of my name's sake, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say in the moment. Think about that. He says, don't worry when you get taken to prison because I'm going to give you what to say. That's good news. But then he goes on to say, don't live a life of fear when you're under trial in that way. Don't fear those who are persecuting you. Don't fear the persecution and the pain. Don't fear the danger or the peril or the sword. But live a life of fear before the Lord. Matthew 10:26 says it this way. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And before you think that the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, he's saying you should fear Satan. He's not saying that because God is the only one who has that authority of life and death. 
He's saying, fear me. No fear of the enemies around them. No fear of the spiritual enemy. Only fear of God. Why? Because God's people understand that the fear of the Lord is the identifying mark of God's people. We show our sign to the world that God is with us by fearing him. Let me give you some examples. October was a crazy month. A crazy month in a lot of ways. But at the beginning of October, there was a moment where all of us were sure that the book of Revelation was just unfolding right in front of us, right? We were all like, and, and here's the thing. 20 years ago, the same basic thing happened and everybody was sure that this was the end. And 50 years ago, literally to the day, the same thing happened. and Everybody was sure this is the moment. World War II started, everybody was sure this is the moment, right? World War I started, everybody was sure that this is the moment. The Civil War started, the Revolutionary War started in America, and everybody was sure this is the moment. We're, not, we're told very plainly in Scripture, you don't know the moment, but there are wars and rumors of wars. Every time a natural disaster happens, is this the moment? Every time a new ruler, he's surely got, you know, he's surely the Antichrist, right? Every time we turn around, somebody's sure that the end is coming. And, and it could cause us to live in fear. It could cause us to live in fear in our world. I want you to know that as the people of God, I, we do not have to fear what is happening in the Middle East right now. Worst case scenario, it's a bad war, right? Worst case scenario, there's suffering. And our God says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. So we don't have to fear what's happening there. Best case scenario, it's the end of the world. That's best case scenario, not worst case scenario for us. You guys get that, right? The world ends is good for us. I'm not saying go pursue it. I'm just saying that if it happens, that's good news. There's nothing but joy for the people of God in the new heavens and the new earth. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear because he has overcome the world. I don't have to fear the economy and what might happen in the economy. We as the people of God don't have to fear because our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Because our Father has told us, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Because you can look at the lilies of the field. You can look at the birds in the air. And you can see God provides for them. And he loves you a whole lot more than he loves them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All that's going to be added to you. Do not fear. In fact, he says it very plainly, actually, in Matthew 10. He, he goes on to tell us that there are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered, easier with some than others, right? Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Don't miss those last two verses. What he's saying is you don't have to fear the economy, fear what you're going to eat, what you're not going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're not going to wear. You don't have to fear that. What you need to do is fear me because if you deny me for what God has already said he's going to provide for you, if you deny me out of fear of what's happening in the world around you, 
I deny you. That sounds a whole lot like what he told them, the Israelites, don't let the anger of God be kindled against you so that he would destroy you off the face of the earth. I don't think that's an idle threat. I think we have a holy God who is worthy to be feared and who has every right, who has every right to do with us as he pleases. And here's the good news. What he wants to do and what he is doing is calling us to stop fearing everything else and start fearing him. That's when we will look like the people of God. When we stop fearing what everybody else fears. And we start fearing God and living in the fear of the Lord and living in obedience to what he says as opposed to obedience to what, well, I just think it's practical. It's just a practical thing to do, street smart thing to do. Also, maybe ungodly. The fact is, God has called us to fear him. And the good news is that God, in calling us to fear him, is also the God who says, I am for you. Did you catch that? He goes, you don't have to fear the two sparrows sold for a penny hairs of the head, God is for you. You are of more value than them. God is for us. God is for his people. And the same God who is for his people has shown us his faithfulness. Look at chapter five or look at chapter six, verses 20 through 25. You see it there. The God we are to fear is the same God who delivered his people from the Egyptians. When the kids come and go, why do we follow these rules? Because God in his mighty right hand, he took us out of Egypt and redeemed us. And that mighty right hand is worthy to be feared. Why do we follow these rules? Because that mighty right hand led us through the wilderness and preserved us and provided for us. And that mighty right hand is to be feared. Why do we follow these rules again that God has said? Well, because that mighty right hand of God is the one that pushed out the nations before us and gave us the inheritance that he promised to our forefathers. And that mighty right hand is worthy to be feared. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, because God is for us, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. (laughs) Literally what God is saying that we're supposed to remember is this, you and I don't deserve to live. But God in his grace has spoken his word that we might not just have life, but have abundant life. That's the grace that he's provided. And he preserves us and he causes us to live in him. God is worthy to be feared. And it's this fearful reality that brings us to our second fundamental of loving the Lord with everything that we have. With our heart and our soul and our strength. Because God is worthy to be feared and he's worthy of a holy fear, then if we're going to persevere in loving the Lord, we have to be careful. You saw that through the passage as well. It's not just fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, but be careful to do what he has commanded. We need to be careful because there is life and death in God's words. God has spoken in power. God has spoken his word. And if he is who he says he is, then we listen. You have to obey. You have to, if we don't obey what God has said by the very nature of disobedience to what God has said, we go, yeah, he's not that scary. He's not that big of a deal. We're banking on grace when we forget his holiness. 
And his grace and his love is a holy grace and a holy love. He's not going to be unrighteous in it. God is a holy God and he is worthy to be feared so that we might follow him. We need to understand that there is life and death in God's words. We need to be careful in how we listen and how we obey. It's God who preserves his people. It's by God's grace that we live and move and have our being. It's by his grace that he allows us to be a part of this redemption plan. So we must be careful to obey. Here's, here's, a, here's a way that this might practically work itself out even today. Somebody in here right now might be saying, oh, this is so good. Like maybe one of you would be saying, this is so good. I wish such and such was here to hear it. Now, don't admit that. Have you ever done that before? Don't admit it today, but have you ever done it before? I wish such and such was here to hear it. Pastoral perspective. I believe enough in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God that the people who need to hear it are here. So I hate to tell you, you are the person that needed to be here to hear it. So as soon as you start going, oh, we're such and such, that is a, that's a way of not being careful about your own self. Because you're applying the truths of this to someone else. But no, the call is, there's life and death in this for me. And when God speaks, I need to hear him and obey. We need to be careful to never turn aside from what God has said. When the, when the law was given to the people at Sinai and they couldn't handle hearing God's voice out of fear, God's reaction to Moses was this. Okay, they got it right. They need to remember that. I hope they always remember that. And then he says in verse 30, go and say to them, return to your tents. But you, Moses, stand here by me. I'll tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you should teach them that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful Therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Careful to do just as the Lord says. Don't turn right, don't turn left. Walk straight in the path of the Lord. Order your steps by his word. Verse 33 says, walking in all the way of what God has said. And let me just camp out there for a second. We have to be careful. If we're going to be careful to follow what God says, we can't cherry pick from God's word. And we love to do that, don't we? That's what it might look like. And yes, this is the toe stomping moment of the service. It hasn't already happened. We have a tendency with God's word. Maybe your quiet time has looked like this before where you come to a passage of scripture and you're like, nope, not that one today. Nope, not that one today. Nope. Oh, that one makes me feel good. Let me read that one today. Nobody here has ever done that. I'm sure no one has ever done that, right? Where you've searched God's word for the thing that will help you do and have permission to do what you really wanted to do. So people have cherry picked and used God's word that way for since it's been written. I mean, Satan tried that trick in the garden. Did God really say? And as soon as we start cherry picking from God's word and we only pick the part of the 
the Bible that we actually want to do, if we become a whole lot like that, did God really say? This is a dangerous place to be. There's no care with God's word that way. I don't know all that God has said. I've read the whole Bible multiple times in my life. And it's so deep that I can never dive to the depths of it. But what I do know is that I should, in every aspect of my life, ask the question, not what would Jesus do here and then do what feels good, but instead say, what does God say? Because that is true. Not what is happening, how should I react, what's my response, but what has God said? That's what care with God's word looks like. What we tend to do, what we tend to do is we tend to say, what can I find in the Bible to make me feel good about what I want to do? And I don't think I'm overstepping. I think that's the reality for a lot of us in our lives. Is we want to be able to look at people and when they go, why'd you do that? Well, you know, I was reading in Deuteronomy the other day. And you want to be able to give an excuse for why you're able to do this. Folks, I want you to understand. Careful with the word of God means this. What's the plain meaning of what God has said and don't work around it? You don't need to do gymnastics to get around what God has said. If he's told you to love your enemies, love your enemies. If he's told you to pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. Well, did he really mean without ceasing? He says don't worry. The command is don't worry. The command isn't pick what you want to worry about this week and then use the Bible to stop worrying about the other stuff. When God says these things, he says them plainly and he wants us to obey him and we don't get to cherry pick because the call is to order your steps by what he has said. So let me put a call out to everybody here. Study what God has said and don't live by what you wish he had said. But study what God has actually said because being careful with God's way is the best way. We have to be careful because God's way is the best way. Look at verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. If there's life and death in God's word, there's also prosperity and peril in God's word. There's prosperity in following what God has said. God's way is the best way. It's not always the easiest way, especially in the moment but is always the best way in the end. It's always worth following God's way and being careful to examine the paths we choose because God has made promises and those ultimate promises and fulfillment are what the goal is. What we want to do sometimes in the moment is exchange the inheritance in heaven and the ultimate promises of God for a temporary fix. Let me say that again. What our problem is with God's word, and when we, get, uh, when we aren't careful with God's word, what we'll do is we'll exchange the promises and the inheritance in the future for a temporary fix. Let me, let me just... That's also what drug addicts do. They exchange good in the end for something temporary. It's actually the nature of sin itself that we exchange what we have been told is good for that which is expedient and makes us feel good 
in the moment. And that's the danger. We need to make sure we are putting ourselves in the position of never turning from what God has said because his way is the best way. And when God gives us the prosperity that he promises, when he gives us kingdom prosperity, when he gives us momentary prosperity, when he gives us good gifts because he's a good gift-giving God, then we can't forget him either. And that's the next care we have to take. We have to be careful because prosperity often brings forgetfulness. How easy is it to forget God when things are good? Isn't that a bigger danger sometimes for us? To forget God when things are good? We've got to be careful to continue and persevere in obedience because finding prosperity often gives us a false sense of self-security. Look at chapter 6, verse 10. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. The, the cities were built when they got there. Houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. An entire civilization set up for them to come in and move into And when you eat and are full, then take care, be careful, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Careful obedience is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline of remembering. Remembering that God has redeemed us. Remembering the fear of the Lord. Remembering the promises of the Lord. Remembering the power of the Lord. Remembering that any good gift is a gift from the storehouses of God's goodness and grace. That everything that we have is part of the treasure of what he's given us. That all good gifts come down from the Father of lights. That we do not earn anything by our own goodness and our own merit. And we are definitely not owed anything just because we have prosperity. And it's easy to forget the Lord when things are good. And so we have to be careful. We have to discipline ourselves to remember the fear of the Lord and to walk in his ways. Because your prosperity does not equal righteousness. No, righteousness comes from the way of the Lord. Careful people in the Lord are careful because God's way is the way of righteousness. Look at verse 25. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And what is the commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. To love the Lord your God with everything you have means you're going to want to obey everything he has said. Ultimately, fearing the Lord and careful obedience to the Lord is loving the Lord. If we're going to love the Lord our God and remember that he alone is God, that he is our Redeemer and Savior and Lord, then we must fearfully and carefully keep his word. This is what Jesus said before his death. He said it really plainly in John chapter 14. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Did you catch that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 21 of chapter 14 of John, he just doubles down. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So if you didn't get it the first time, let me tell it to you again. You have my commandments. If you keep them, that's the person who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot better than being wiped off the face of the earth. It says, 
If you love me, you keep my commandments. The person who keeps my commandments is the person who gets to say they love me. And the person who keeps my commandments and loves me is the person also who gets to say, I'm loved by God. And I'm held in his love. The mark of loving Jesus with all our heart and soul and strength is obedience. You can't say you love Jesus without obeying him. The Bible doesn't have room for that. That's not a Brad thing. That is a Bible thing. And fearful and careful love of Jesus carries with it a promise that Jesus will make himself known to us, that he'll make his love known to us, that he will be held in the love of the Father, will have the presence of Jesus with us. And he's going to do this by his Spirit. In fact, if you're here today and you're saying, okay, I want to love Jesus with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength, I can't. He goes, you're right. So trust me, because here's what I'm going to do in John chapter 14, between 15 and 21. Here's what he said. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Anyone who has my commandments and keeps them loves me. In between that, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He's going to give you his spirit. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Nobody else can can get this. Only people who are believers in Christ because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart unless I give you a new heart. Unless I give you a helper. Unless I give you one who's going to drive your heart towards Jesus. So today I want you to hear this. If you're here today and if you say you love Jesus, you say you're a believer, then then know this and do this. If you love Jesus, then obey Jesus. Just make it that simple. People say it's hard to be a Christian in today's world. Two things. One, no, it's not. No, it's just hard to be a bad Christian in today's world. I'm just going to tell you, it's hard to try to live with one foot in one world and one foot in the other. It is no harder today than it's ever been. Just be faithful. And God will sustain you. And if the world hates you, he'll still sustain you. If your boss fires you, he'll still sustain you. It's difficult to not trust God and try to be a Christian in today's world. But I don't know that it's hard to be a Christian. Second thing is, it ain't getting any easier so what if we simplified? What if we said, I want to love Jesus. So I'm just going to obey Jesus. And I'm going to stop trusting that I have an idea of the best way to live my life. And I'm going to start trusting that he knows. And he's got my best in mind. Believers, obey Jesus if you say you love him. Study his word to know what he requires of you. Follow him closely. Don't turn from his word. And when you feel like you can't walk closely to his word, when it's too hard, remember what he said, I will send you a helper. Realize that you don't stand in your own strength, but he gives you a helper. He's given you a spirit to bind you to his heart, to bind you to his ways, to bind you in the love of the Father, to help you to love and obey him. And if you're here today, and you say, I don't know Jesus. I'm not a believer in Jesus. You've never repented of your sins. You never placed your faith in Jesus. If you've never trusted that Jesus came to the earth and the flesh to love his father with all his heart and soul and strength, 
by perfectly obeying the law of God. And you've never trusted that Jesus then willingly went to a cross because you and I could not love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength. And he went to a cross to pay the penalty for our breaking of God's law. And he hung on that cross and he died there in our place, taking our unfaithfulness and our sin And if you've never trusted that Jesus was then laid in a tomb and on the third day rose again to defeat sin and death and to give us an inheritance of life in him that is full of loving God with all our heart and soul and strength. If you've never trusted Jesus, then I want you to know that you have no hope of loving Jesus with all your heart, soul and strength unless God steps in. Unless God steps in, you have no hope of keeping the Ten Commandments. You have no hope of keeping his law, no matter how hard you try, unless Jesus helps, unless Jesus steps in. The only way any of us will ever love Jesus is if God loves us first. And here's the good news. He does, and he has. It's because of that love that Jesus was sent For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was love that sent Jesus to the cross, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's love that holds and secures us forever. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is good news that you need to hear that All the love and obedience that is necessary to please God is found in Jesus. So trust him today. Turn from your own sin, from your own self-righteousness and all the trying that you've done in order to make yourself good enough. Turn from all of that and give your life to him as Lord and Savior. And that means that when you do that by faith, all of God's, all of Jesus' love for the Father and obedience to the Father and goodness and righteousness becomes yours. Becomes yours. And every ability to keep the word of God and to follow God becomes yours through his spirit because he first loved us. So as we close and get ready to sing and close out our service, I'm going to ask you to stand with me to remind us of this truth, to read from 1 John chapter 4. what it looks like to be the people of God. And for the next few weeks, we're going to dive into what does it mean to love the Lord your God with everything that you have and to make sure that your kids, your grandkids, our communities, the ends of the earth, have the hope of the gospel. And it all starts with what Jesus has done for us. So read together with me from 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. He has made the way through his love. So we cry out, my Jesus, I love you. Let's sing together.